Welcome to the New England Baseball Journal podcast presented by Firecracker Sports. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. Today's guest is Harvard coach Bill Decker, who happens to coach in one of the only conferences that canceled its 2021 season due to the pandemic. Coach Decker's influence on the game has crossed NCAA divisions and spanned decades. Before his 10-year stint at Harvard, Coach Decker helped Trinity College become a Division III power. In his 22 seasons with the Bantams, he became the all-time winningest coach in program history. His 2008 national championship team went 45-1. and I'm excited to talk to Coach Decker about his excitement level for the return of baseball at Harvard in 2022. He also has a handful of pro prospects waiting patiently for their chance to make an impact on the Ivy League stage. Before we welcome Coach Decker to the pod, let's review some of the ways you can engage with us at New England Baseball Journal. As we head into the fall, we are starting to look ahead to the high school prep and college seasons on our website, baseballjournal.com. We have prospect rankings for the classes of 2022, 2023, 2024, and most recently, 2025. We also highlighted a total of 40 players who will be in the mix for the 2022 MLB Draft heading into the spring season. Visit BaseballJournal.com to find any of those stories and sign up for our free email newsletter, which goes out twice a week and highlights the latest content on BaseballJournal.com. We're also starting to work on our fall edition of New England Baseball Journal. That will include prep previews as well as college features at the D1, D2, and D3 levels. That publication will go to press in October. Click on the subscribe tab at baseballjournal.com to receive that at your home or office. Thanks again for listening to the New England Baseball Journal podcast. Now here's Harvard coach Bill Decker. Coach Decker, thanks so much for joining the podcast in studio. Thanks, Dan. It's great to be here. Yeah, you must be excited. Uh, You got guys back on campus and um, you're starting your workouts this fall. What's it been like to finally see the guys again and get back to coaching? Well, I told them last week during our initial team meeting, it was just so great to have everybody back. And that's a good thing. You know, everything that we've all been through, regardless of professions, whether it's in sport or outside, it's just nice to see people again. Um, Obviously, we're still going through some trying times, but the fact that we're back and have people in our locker room and people on O'Donnell Field, it's been a blessing. Yeah, I actually know someone who works at Harvard and I was just talking to him recently, and um, he's, a, he's a professor, and he was saying last year a lot of his students were remote. There weren't a lot of kids on campus. How, and it seems like it's going to be way different this year. What, what are the biggest differences in the way that you're handling the, the pandemic at Harvard? Well, I think you go back to last, last fall when we only had our freshmen and first-year guys on campus, um, and then in the spring you know, people opted out for different reasons, uh, and we only had 12 guys practicing in the spring. So, I mean, just to see the energy level back, um, I mean, I thought our grounds guys did the best they could given the situation uh, because of the non-essential spending that we all went through. But, you know, it's it's like the everyone's just spreading their wings right now, still trying to stay safe. But, you know, you haven't seen them um, in person other than these Zooms and everything else we've been doing. Um we're able to follow a couple guys over the summer months, but to have them come back and actually be on the field and just kind of see the energy level again, and not just from our, you know, from our team, but for the other 41 sports that are back, it's just a lot more movement on the campus, which is awesome. Yeah. And you mentioned people in every profession have been affected by this pandemic. And it seems like we've kind of learned a lot about COVID as we go and the way that it gets spread and the way that people are best handling it. Um, it must have been frustrating, though, when you look at last year, like Northeastern, they're 10 minutes up the road, 
Uh, they go on and they win a conference and they go to the NCAA tournament. They're playing big time baseball. How frustrating was it for you that the Ivy was treating it different than some of these other schools that are right in your backyard? Well, I can I can only speak for my for myself. And you know, when this whole thing went down, and obviously Harvard made some decisions that aligned with the Ivy League. You know, you can only control what you can do. I think there were some moments along the way where I just felt that. Uh, maybe I was giving our players a little bit of false sense of hope in January that, hey, we're going to be back and we're going to be back. And then, you know, things got, you know, prolonged a little bit because of more of the science was coming out and uh, so on and so forth. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, our guys made their decisions, whether they wanted to come or, or take a year off or just continue their college careers remotely and, and graduate, which some of them did. Um, but certain Certain frustration level, um, but again, everybody's got to control that within. And, and obviously, you know, at a place like ours, everybody's going to be second-guessing you, you know, some of the time. But, you know, I told my program supervisor from day one that I will support whatever the college has decided to do. And I'd like to think that we did that, not just as myself, but uh, as a staff. Yeah. And it's it's interesting, too. Like you said, you want to give them that carrot. You don't want to say, hey, I'm not going to see you until 2022 uh, spring season. So you want to keep them motivated and uh, working out and things like that. So I can understand that you were offering hope in January. Um, I just recently saw a bunch of your guys or three or four of them at the Summer Rivalry Classic. And those guys just stood out. You know, they were head and shoulders above the rest of the field. It was a lot of high school guys, but there were some college guys there, too. How did that decision uh, to play in that game come together? Because there weren't a lot of D1 guys there. Yeah, I, I actually found that after the fact. Oh, um, really? So, uh, you know, whether it was Matty Hyde or, or Ray Fagnett, they kind of reached out to our guys to see if they'd want to play. Um, you know, my, our guys are pretty good at communicating with me, which I'm very proud of. Um, and they asked me, you know, my opinion. I'm like, go for it. Um, it's not every day you get a chance to play in Fenway Park. Um, and then just enjoy what you've been doing. And if other people are there to see you, then, then that's all great. But I was happy for him, and, and now it's time to get back with the other 30-some-odd guys in the locker room and, and try to do the best we can, you know, for Harvard. Yeah, and Adam Stone, he was a guy who, who just jumped out that day. He's throwing, you know, hard into the mid to high 90s. Um, and he had a he had an injury in high school, I guess. So he had, I think he got Tommy John after high school. Yeah, or? he had Tommy John the in March of his senior year. Um, his first year with us, obviously, he didn't pitch, and he was actually on on schedule to kind of pitch kind of midway through the Ivy League season. And then you know once we took our trip to Alabama, I think Adam actually went with us too, so because we wanted to give him that experience. Um, and then we went down to a Stetson tournament, and then we got shut down. So Adam actually never never pitched as a freshman, nor did he pitch last year as a sophomore. So he has 0, 0.0 innings under his belt as a college player. Right. Uh, but, you know, he's. I'd like to think he's fully recovered um, and just trying to work on some other parts of his game. But, you know, we expect big things out of him. Yeah, he got an opportunity to play for the U.S. national collegiate team uh, this summer, and he was um, – on the Cape, too, he looks he looks great. Um, the one thing that jumped out in that summer rivalry classic, he struck somebody out to end an inning. A guy was on third, and he starts. I mean, it was there's maybe a thousand fans in the seats. You know, a lot of scouts, a lot of parents, things like that. So it was it was really quiet, and I'm just looking down, kind of scoring it, and all of a sudden he starts screaming as he's walking off the mound, pumping his fist. He seems like an interesting uh, guy. He brings a lot of personality to the mound. He is, and you know. His older brother, Kevin, pitched for us 
his other older brother, Grant, pitched for us as well. So he's a third Stone brother uh, that's been in our program. And, and, and Adam's a lot like Kevin. I mean, he's, he's very focused. Um, he's got some determination, but he's for 30 seconds, man, he's just going to let it all out. And, yeah. uh, you know, again, he hasn't pitched a lot. And uh, he does bring that, and obviously uh, sometimes maybe he has to kind of quiet that down a little bit because you never want to show anybody up. But he's an excitable kid. Yeah. And uh, Will Jacobson ended up closing out that game. He's He also had a great summer on the Cape. Um, I was looking back when he was coming into Harvard. He was kind of a two-way guy, uh, prospect, uh, you know, as a position player as well as a pitcher. How has, his, um, how has he evolved as a player? He's a really, really good competitor. Yeah. Um, and, again, much like Adam, he came in. Will had a little bit of taste, and he played in both series uh, as a freshman. The interesting thing about Will is when we were recruiting him, uh, he came to our you know, our prospect camp and actually never pitched in front of us. Um, he, had, he wanted to get one more at bat. So I never saw him even in the bullpen, and I was out west uh, the following week or four or five days later, actually, and saw Will pitch. And I'm like – very interesting kid who can, you know, play a little bit of defense. Uh, he can swing it a little bit. He would probably hit in the middle of our lineup last year. But the, the interesting thing was um, he had a live arm. He has a lot of innings in him because he wasn't really a pitcher in, in, in high school. But he's a really focused, uh, wonderful kid. Um, he's kind of a, uh, a a young person that you want your daughter to marry. So, I mean, he's doing all the right things for himself, and he's a, a top-notch student as well. So, um, you know, those two guys are really close with one another, too, and they, they kind of push one another, which is great. Yeah, another guy who looked great at the game, uh, Logan Bravo. He hit one over the monster. Uh, I think he had 14 regular season home runs this summer with the North Shore Navigators and then two in the postseason. He seems like he's ready to come back and have a big season. Um, how has he improved throughout his career? Logan's just evolved. I mean, he, he came in as kind of a middle in, infielder for us. And, you know, to his defense, we gave him a, a shot. Uh, and then, again, he gets shut down. So, um, But I think his natural position is on, uh, on, the, on the corner, more specific, the first base bag. But I, I think what he's done is he's really just kind of calmed down at the plate and trusted himself uh, and not gotten too analytical about what's going on. Um, he, he tends to be a little bit of an overthinker at times. But I think going back up to the Navigators uh, with, with Derek January's crew was really good for him. Um, and it's nice to see him finally kind of break out and, and have a good, a good summer. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you were uh, talking earlier. You kind of gave your, your stamp of approval, whatever guys wanted to do, if they, want, if they were going to transfer and go somewhere else and play, that was okay. Um, did you end up – the NCAA transfer portal is just packed yeah. uh, this past year. Did you end up losing a lot of guys? I know you had a lot of momentum going into the 2020 season. We didn't have anybody transfer. Oh, really? Um, and I think a lot of it is, again, the closeness of that particular group um, and the fact that some of our players wanted to have that four-year college experience at Harvard. Uh, we do have two guys that graduated last year. Tommy Seidel is down at Alabama. And Buddy Maroka, who had some injuries throughout his career, is actually over at Northeastern with Coach Glavin. So two guys that graduated last year are, um, are, are going to continue their, their, their college careers. Nice. And now I was reading, there were a few guy, a few Harvard guys, I guess, were living in Brighton, I think, and working out together last spring and, you know, competing and playing games. 
What did the majority of your guys do with their off year? Was it all different? I think it was different, different groups. Uh, I know we had a freshman class that went down into Georgia and then ended up down in South Florida with Cressy. Uh, I think some of the upperclassmen might have joined them at some point, but eventually everybody, the upperclassmen, kind of migrated back to New England, trained on their own. They look great. I mean, and you know, one of the guys who's not with us this fall that's going to come back and finish his career, Jack Moala, who's a right-handed arm for us, really kind of led the charge. I mean, he, he was just so impactful. Um, again, another hard-working kid. Um, but they just kind of rallied around one another, um, and that's really the only thing they had. So they continued with their Zoom classes and, you know, unfortunately didn't go through commencement exercises, but they just hung tough together because that's the bond or the friendships that they, you know, they manufactured in, throughout their career, whether it was shortened or not. Yeah, I know there are NCAA rules on how much you can interact with guys when you're not in season. It was kind of unprecedented because, um, you know, you, you would usually be in season in the spring. How much interaction could you have, and how, how did you stay engaged with the players? Most of it was Zoom, and there were certain hours. I can't remember whether it was six or eight hours right now. Um, it's all kind of a blur, but <laughs> anybody that was enrolled in classes could be a part of our, our, our Zoom calls and anything else we did. Um, and like everybody else that was not playing, we probably Zoomed a little bit more earlier. But at some point, you know, the middle of April, we didn't shut it down, but let guys live their lives, let them go train, let them do what they got to do. And, you know, we had a periodic check-in for the second year in a row. We just we kind of did a virtual senior day commencement. Um, it was much shortened down this year. but uh, And we actually really didn't reconvene, Dan, until – about two weeks ago on a Zoom call, just as guys were starting to come back to campus just to check in. and They were playing all summer, which is what they wanted to do. Right. That's great. Now, what about recruiting? I would imagine last year must have been really difficult when you're not playing and everybody else is playing. How, how did it affect your re- recruiting? And, um, you know, obviously you have a, guy, a lot of guys coming back with an extra year of eligibility since they didn't play. What, how did it affect recruiting for you? I think we got ahead of the game a little bit. Um, you know, in January of 2020, uh, we had our first prospect camp. Um, actually, we had both of them. Um, we had one in February as well. So most of the guys that have matriculated last week, uh, we saw at one of our winter camps. Uh, we followed them a little bit, and they came in. They looked they look pretty good yesterday. So uh, we got ahead of it a little bit. Um, some of it's a little bit luck, being in the right place at the right time. Uh, the virtual recruiting, you know, the last 14 months was not an easy thing to do. Um, but you kind of cross-check guys as best you can. Got all, all the information we could from an academic standpoint and then, you know, pulled the triggers on some guys. And the same thing is going on with some of the 22s that we're involved with, you know, that are now seniors in high school. But the good thing is we had a chance to see them a little bit, you know, this past summer, you know, at once we opened up on June 8th. Right. Now, in terms of, uh, you mentioned the prospect camp, and I can imagine there's probably high school guys or prep school guys listening to this who are thinking, like, how do I get invited to one of those, or how do I, how would I go on campus and perform in front of a coaching staff so that they can see me play? Is that something you have to be invited to, or how do you sign up for that? No, I mean, we advertise it, um, and, and obviously anybody that's recommended to us uh, goes into our database, like so many others across the country, and Anytime we have an on-campus uh, camp or clinic, we invite those guys to it. But there's really no pressure uh, for anybody to attend. But we've 
over the years, we've always gotten kids out of our own prospect camp, which is a good thing for us, um, as well as, you know, being out at other guys' events as well. Because on a given year, we'll have, you know, eight or nine, ten other college coaches working it. So, you know, they're able to, to see the guys firsthand as well. Yeah, and then you get to see their personality a little bit and how yeah. competitive they are. Yeah, it's always good to see them in person and be up and close with them and, and just really just kind of check them out as a person as well because that, that character piece – you know, is really, really important to most of us. And, and uh, you know, it's a, it's a important to me, and I tell our staff that all the time. You know, we need high-character guys that are going to do the right thing. Uh, and also, if there's hiccups along the way, they're going to just, you know, stand up, brush themselves off, and persevere through it and go move forward. Yeah, and we did a story on you back in 2019, and it was about the influx of California guys on the roster. Yeah. I think at the time you had 12, um, obviously, you know, recruiting like you said has has changed pretty dramatically in the last year is it's are you still doing a lot of recruiting in california and how, how does that take place yeah we're still out uh, we've got a couple of california kids that are are freshmen right now for us um you know for me it I, I it doesn't matter where a prospective player comes from i mean it's a hell of a lot easier for us to just stay in new england and do the best we can but there's certainly a lot of migration out of new england down to southern schools and by by you know the young guys up here so we just we can't scour everything um you know we we go to some major events and uh we have our prospect camps and you know i don't want to say it's 365 days a week or excuse me days a year but you just got to stay after a little bit without Mm -hmm. overdoing it yeah now I mentioned earlier all the guys in the transfer portal I think there was over 3000 you know going into the summer are you able, I know the admissions standards at Harvard are different from uh everywhere else uh can you get guys in through the transfer portal or are you even looking at guys like that Yeah without getting into specifics cuz I don't want to I don't want to break any rules uh specific to Harvard but we don't, we're not we're not going to recruit transfers just because it's so difficult across the Ivy League board in general to yeah. get transfers in. Um, and that's just the way it is. It doesn't make it right or wrong. It's just that's the way we do our business, and it's worked out. Yeah. And I know before you came to Harvard, uh, you were at Trinity and just had a legendary experience there. I think the 2008 team I was just reading today had a 44-game winning streak, finished 45-1, and one, uh, won the national championship, still the highest per- winning percentage of any D3 team in history. How hard was that to leave, especially, you know, Harvard was was down when you first got there. How how hard was it to leave and what went into the decision? Ultimately, it was it was a family decision. Um, it was it went back and unfortunately after the passing of, of coach Joe Walsh back in July of 2012. I got involved with the process in in late August and eventually, you know, went back to campus for the third time with my wife and it was a quiet ride home because we had such a good family life and kids were there kids were younger we were doing well at trinity and you know it's one of those decisions where you know you can stay or you can try to take on a new challenge um and i think for my wife and i uh it was it was the looking back on it it was the right decision it had some bumps along the way you know because you never know how your kids are going to deal with it Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, we're in a pretty good situation, both of our careers. Kids are doing great, uh, and Harvard's a really good place to be employed at. Sure, yeah, and, and from a winning perspective, you've had a lot of success too. I think you're 
win total has improved every year uh, that you've been at Harvard, maybe except for one. But um, uh, finishing off in 2019, I think that was your winningest season since you had been there, and you're uh, now you're going into your tenth year. So, from that perspective, it's definitely been a good uh, experience. The two I mentioned that 2008 team. What was different about that team? Because you know, to go on a run like that, 44 game winning streak, 45 and one overall, that that must have been a special year. They that group of kids, young people, just persevered through everything. I mean, baseball is a game of elements. You know, you've got, you know, God bless those umpires. You never know what you're going to run into. And I have a lot of good umpires that are really good friends of mine. But the bad bounces, the errors, the bad calls, the you know, the bad days at the plate, the bad outings on the mound. Somehow they just kind of rallied around one another. And I think the key thing for that particular group was they just kind of moved on. Um, they didn't, you know yesterday's the past tomorrow's the future they just kind of lived in the present and for that group it was just a gift um but it was a special obviously a special year uh collectively for the players and coaches and uh you know really for the program at trinity which you know again as you may mention to was a little bit down when i got there in the early 90s but we just kind of kind of kept on chipping away and you know got around i think it was i don't even know 1998 we got on a pretty good run so uh, special. Yeah. Some good memories. Stick around. We'll be back with more after these messages. Firecracker Sports serves all first-time and experienced coaches that are looking for quality showcase tournaments to promote their players and teams. Firecracker Sports offers the most independently operated baseball and softball events in the Northeast region with qualified staff and college coaches to help you and your players get maximum promotion. Besides events, you can get all of your baseball and softball needs with Firecracker Sports player profiles, hotels, and even facility sales now. With Firecracker Sports, you can save time, effort, and money by getting all of your events, college resources, and customer attention in one place every season. Visit firecrackersports.com to visit the home of Showcase Baseball and Softball. So you have the unique perspective of recruiting in new england at the d1 level and then also the d3 how, what are the biggest differences how do you recruit at the d3 that's different from the d1 level you just got to be out there and you got to make some tough decisions um and i i talk to groups all the time about don't get caught up too much in the numbers i mean everybody wants to be a division one player there's just not enough room you mentioned earlier about the transfer portal so everything these high school kids and their families are going through is not normal right now. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully the numbers will dip down a little bit and roster sizes will come back to 35 at the Division One level. But, you know, the, I, I, I've always said there's a place for everybody, you know, if college baseball is in your cards. Uh, for many years at Trinity, you know, I kind of sat back and just kind of waited for the dominoes to fall. Mm-hmm. And then we picked up some pretty good players. I mean, that, that 08 team was, was pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. I think we had five kids play some form of pro ball um but you know kids just have to hang in there there's some tough decisions that have to be made you know from a coaching perspective it's not always easy to give that bad news hey listen appreciate your interest but we're going to move forward but you know the message is when one door closes you know multiple doors might open for you so you just not you just need to keep on moving forward mm-hmm. and you know i've said this for years you know sometimes you got to be a little selfish towards your program's needs not selfish as people, but you got to be selfish to the needs of your program. And, you know, there's always things that come up, whether it's the injuries, whether it's the draft. 
and things like that where people might leave early. So you got to be it's, – it's a careful dissection of our program every year. So what do you mean by being selfish? Is that like recruiting no, guys that are – No, I mean by being selfish to what the program needs. Okay. We're not trying to be selfish as people. I mean yeah. th- that, this process that we all do about meeting all these young kids and their families is freaking awesome. Mm-hmm. It really is. Um, and, you know, there's an argument to be had. Is it better to receive disappointment or give disappointment? But at the end of the day, you got to protect, you know, the, you got to protect the program's needs. Um, and sometimes that's not easy. You know, when you get three or four coaches sometimes on the road recruiting, which includes your volunteer at maybe doing some camps. So we try to be on, on the same page and just figure out guys that really fit what we want. I had uh, Justin Blood on the podcast a few weeks ago, and he's he's going the opposite direction, D1 to D3. He said the biggest uh, difference for him is the the time. You know, he has, he has fewer hours per week that he's allowed to ha- have workouts and be with his guys and less communication. Um, but everybody now is trying to be more efficient, you know, and they're trying to do things differently. Do you use every minute of the time that you have at the D1 level or, or what's different? No, and, and even within the Division One level at the, you know, within the Ivy League, you know, we don't have the same amount of time, uh, but they have increased our hours, uh, not only during individuals, but also during our non-traditional team segment. Um, it works out. I mean, there's always enough time. Uh, guys are constantly, you know, working out on their own as well. They have plenty of time to balance their life, not just as a, as an athlete, but as a student and also being a young adult too. So again, I made mention this before. If you're a 24 seven guy, 365, at some point you're going to just burn out. You've got to have some downtime. Uh, and, and trust me, Justin blood will be fine up at Keene. He, he knows how to do it. And, uh, really happy that he's, he's, he's found a place for himself. Yeah. And now for high school guys, you know, high school seniors, prep school guys, what do you recommend for, you know, if they're trying to get looks and, you know, it's obviously been a little bit more difficult in the last year with fewer uh, invitationals and events and showcases and things like that. Are there uh, places that you recommend, hey, you know, play Legion or play for travel or, you know, is there any one piece of advice you would give guys who are trying to get looks? I think generally speaking across the board, um, and unfortunately, American Legion ball is not what it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's the it's the it's college campuses, uh, their own camp, their own clinics. There's certain events out there, whether it be a, uh, like a show ball camp, which is a national um, camp that invites people. Whether it's head first, both of those tend to be academic camps. But you know, a lot of people go down to to Atlanta into the you know what perfect game has and um, what everybody else is doing right now. It's just, you got to be out, you got to be seen, but I think you also need to be smart with your resources um, because you can go broke if you're out too much. And I think the thing that concerns me a little bit is that, you know, sometimes guys will go from one showcase to the other, to the next, to the next, and they're really never playing the game. You know, the games that they play are, you know, shortened six or seven inning games, um, really, to I think to protect pitchers' arms, but even on, in those events, they're coming on back-to-back days. But you need to play the game. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And, and more and more now, people are using uh, analytics to kind of measure, you know, recruiting or even uh, you know when they're scouting guys. How much do you use it in your program? Um, and you know, what metrics do you are you looking at? We have it all. Yeah. Um, 
we've got the rap sodos, the blast motions, and you know everybody's talking about spin rate and you know vertical break and everything like that. Uh, so we we have the resources. Um, I am a little bit concerned that sometimes kids are looking over their shoulder. You know what was that? What was my spin rate there? Rather than pitching in front, um, that's a concerning thing of mine. We're actually going to scale back a little bit this fall, just so kids can go out and compete. And not you don't need feedback pitch to pitch to pitch. What you need feedback is is after you're done with your outing. Um, but I do I do believe in video, um, and that's really what I like to watch is the video piece. Uh, and it's the same thing offensively, right? You know, just go up there and compete at the plate. Let's not worry too much about what your launch angle is or isn't. Uh, and just have a good at bat, put the ball in play, and understand situational hitting and two-strike approaches. And, you know, if you're a speed guy, you can put the ball on the ground, you know, put that in your toolbox. So the more more things you have in your toolbox, you know, the better chances are you might be able to get on the field. Yeah, that makes sense. I could see guys uh, becoming almost obsessed with those numbers and, you know, you lose the com- the competition aspect of it where guys are getting on the mound and, you know, attacking the hitters. Yeah, and again, I'm not, I'm not against it. I just think we need to keep it in line with what our needs are at our place. Um, you know, the whole thing happened with the pro game, and they're playing 162-plus games a year, and they have all those resources. Um, but, you know, I think it's been a good thing for us. We just need to maybe – take a step back and, and see if we can just go out specifically after two years of not playing. Yeah, that makes sense. You know what I mean? You mentioned uh, some of your guys went down uh, and were working out with Cressy in Florida. Uh, how has the strength and conditioning piece to baseball evolved, uh, you know, since you've started coaching? It's changed. Resources are there. I mean, it's just like the tools we just talked about, the analytical piece. Um, I think – if guys are comfortable with what they're doing, the speed component, the flexibility, the strength component, you know, we talk about sleep, we talk about eating, we talk about diet, we talk about nutrition, we talk about all that stuff that really, even 15 years ago, wasn't at our fingertips. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if you use it and can stick with it and just kind of make changes when you need to make changes, I think that's the best way to go about it. Because let's face it, you know, if, if you're a hitter, and you're failing, you're probably going to drop your hitting coach and go on to the next guy. And it's the same thing with, you know, the, the pitching guys. So there's a lot of guys out there that have a lot of knowledge. But you can't be jumping all the time. You've, you've got to stay and you've got to stay focused. And it's the same thing with the speed and conditioning piece. You know, it's, it's, it's not just a linear speed. It's the baseball speed and be able to go, you know, two bases or three bases and get those reads and everything else off a, off a live ball off a bat. Um, mm-hmm. That's why you got to see kids play. Right. It's interesting. I was um, I lived in Cambridge for about 10 years, and um, a couple of years ago I was watching uh, College Game Day, and they were out at Harvard for a Harvard-Yale football game, and I was like, how did I miss this? I lived in Cambridge. I never went to that game. But it would seem, you know, that that's a really cool thing for you to show uh, recruits, like, hey, look at this tradition, look at this uh, enthusiasm that we have around uh, athletics and academics and everything else. Is that, um, is that part of what you're selling to recruits when you're trying to get them to come to Harvard? And also, is that a good weekend to have recruits up, you know, for, for visits when, when there's that going on? Uh, that college game day was unbelievable. Yeah, that was cool. Um, uh, it was a great venue. Uh, it was great to see a lot of energy again. But I think one of the things that we talk about, and I try not to use things as selling points, but, you know, we, we, we do talk about 
that we are the largest Division One school in the country in terms of the number of sports. So that'll tell you that there's a lot of student athletes on campus, a lot of energy, you know, um, some successes, some failures. And, again, just the, the challenges and the daily things that they, those kids go through is unbelievable. Um, but it's good to walk around. I think the whole setup of campus is great. You know, many of the academic labs and classrooms and whatever else are on one side of the Charles. You know, you cross over the bridge, and most of the athletic side and all the facilities are on the other side of the river. So it's it's kind of unique in itself. Yeah. Now you, I was reading you. You were actually a football guy in college. You were um, you went to Ithaca College, did, yeah. and uh, you're. It's, I saw in your bio that your career was cut short due to injury on the baseball field, but you did play football in college. Is that yeah, right? I got nicked up a little bit. Um, you know, I got nicked up a little bit. I think the first year was a shoulder injury. The second year, I banged up my knee, and both both were at the end. Uh, so my college career, baseball wise, was cut short premature. Um, but nonetheless, good experience. Ended up doing a little bit of high school coaching in baseball, going through the PE teaching curriculum. Um, but uh, unfortunately, that was cut short, so you just keep on moving. Yeah. Now, I want to just uh, kind of look ahead to the fall. Uh, what is it going to look like in terms of uh, practice schedule? Will you be able to uh, compete with other programs at all? Or what, what, are you, what are your expectations for the fall? We're probably going to just compete against ourselves. Okay. Uh, mainly because we haven't been around one another. Um, we have three classes that haven't really played with one another. Um, and I think it's easier to keep 18 guys involved as opposed to nine at one time. Uh, and plus with the COVID thing going on and maybe some of the travel restrictions, that's really secondarily. But um, right now we're going to just stay, compete against ourselves as much as we can, um, as long as we can, and then shut it down and, and move on to the spring, which, you know, we're excited to, We're excited for the spring. we got a pretty good schedule that's, you know, in, lined up to go. Oh, good. But, I do want to bring this up too. Sorry, Dan. No, the, the, uh, the three really, <clears throat> excuse me, the three kind of, Freshman classes, you had one freshman class in 2020 that played six games. Six games. One class didn't play at all, and then you have another one coming in. Um, I'm on the lacrosse podcast a lot, and we've had three lacrosse coaches from the Ivy League, and Jerry Byrne from Harvard was one of them. And I remember we asked Andy Shea this question, three really freshman classes coming in, not a lot of veteran leadership. How are you going to manage that going into this fall? I put together a head coach's leadership group. Um, about 10 days ago, and there's no rhyme or reason to my to my method. It was just, you know, we have a returning senior uh, who's been around the program and probably seen a lot of things, so we, we kept him. And we kept a uh, – we actually uh, – Harrison Stoverns, a left-handed arm out of Atlanta, who had Tommy John last spring. He's not even going to play, but he's a good leader. He's a good clubhouse guy. Um, and then I took a couple two-way guys. I mean, Jacobson's on there, and then I – I took a couple other guys at Bravo that I just thought would be good guys to kind of keep everybody together. And we've always done it, but I think those guys will bring it, you know, and, and be able to keep everybody where they are. They get, let me tell you this. The guys know one another. They really do. I thought our uh, upperclassmen have done a great job. Um, you know, they Zoom on their own as well, which is great. So um, it's really welcoming everybody in together. And it's no different than Bravo or, or Zach Brown or a couple other guys. I mean, they didn't even go to school last year. Mm-hmm. So Bravo was supposed to be a senior. He's got two more years left. 
So, um, but again, it's because, as I said to Dan earlier, it was that four-year ex- on-campus experience that they wanted. But I didn't notice anything yesterday. Matter of fact, the our first-year guys actually stood out. How uh, how was that first practice? It was awesome, and we didn't do much, right? A little on-the-field BP. That energy was just energy. Was it different than what it used to be a little bit, or just because they're all back for the first time in a couple years? I haven't seen a first practice in a couple years, so... <laughs> But it, 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 it was different, but there, there was different type of energy. Um, you know, we brought in the pitchers a half hour later so we could spread out the locker room a little bit. Again, just trying to be mindful of what's going on. Um, you know, we started the batting practice, and for us it's always a defensive competitive piece because we want everything off the, you know, off the bat, played live. Um, I disappeared, just talked to the pitchers a little bit because we are going through a transition with a new pitching coach who's not in place yet. So, you know, that in itself is different too. Um, but it was it was fun, and it, we're going to do the same thing today. We ended up with a sim game yesterday, um, which just to see some baseball actions and movements, and, you know, it's a little bit of a ball buster too, quite frankly, because uh, there's only three or four guys on each team, and, and you got to keep on going. But Seeing guys hit cutoffs, seeing pitchers back up, seeing guys handle the baseball in the infield, um, it's what we do. It's, we do it in short stints, but I think 15, 20 minutes a day is, is very meaningful. Is there more uh, player evaluation going on because you haven't seen him in so long where, you know, you get a guy like Adam Stone, you're like, wow, this guy's throwing 98. I hadn't seen him, you know, in no. two years. No, this, the, the evaluation piece, piece will start, you know, next week. It was really the first couple of days just to get them on the field together. And, you know, again, new guys in the locker room and un- making sure we do a good job in our clubhouse and how we enter, you know, Dylan Fieldhouse. I mean, there's some things in place that I, I like to kind of go over and things like that. You know, meeting the grounds guys. You know, again, three new, three new classes trying to meet our grounds crew and just try to just bring as many people back into the fold as we can. Um, you know, so it's just, I guess after 30-whatever years, 36 years now, it's just, you just find different ways to really just bring people together. It'll be competitive. Um, it'll be detailed. But right now it's really about just getting guys out there. And was there anything that you did uh, in the last year or 18 months in terms of, like, uh, development, you know, when, with the extra time where you're saying, all right, you know, this is something I need to improve as a coach or this is something I want to work on and have never had the time. Is it, Was there anything like that that popped up? Not really. Just try to stay on top of the recruiting. And, again, from an administrative standpoint, um, just try to stay on top of those things. I mean, we're going – we have a new athletic director, Aaron McDermott. She was actually on the job July 1 of last year. So her first in-person meeting was at 10 o'clock this morning, and we were spread out in the basketball Levites or pavilion with our first full staff people, uh, staff meeting. All so it's just you try to stay on top of that. Um, you know, there's some talk uh, as we should be talking about, you know, diversity, inclusion, and belonging, and some social justice stuff that you know Harvard is trying to to move forward and, and make collectively across all the sports, uh, which I think is important. But you know, the biggest thing I did prior to June 8th was probably be a better husband and be around more and be a better dad. My kids were all home. Uh, well, that's not true, but my two of my kids were home. And you just – I called it free family time since this whole thing started. You know, you never thought that you'd be able to have as many dinners and things with your family 
and not just again not just this profession but we're just home more uh so just to enjoy it that's a good perspective yeah to make the most of that time that you're you can't get back well coach i can't wait to uh see your guys in back in on the field in the spring and hopefully you know hopefully we can get out at some point this fall and even see how things are going when you do a Harvard versus Harvard scrimmage or something like that. Dan, I got one more question. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, coach. So, you know, kind of, kind of summing this all up. You know, you and forty plus other coaches and assistant coaches and other personnel within Harvard athletics and even all around the Ivy League. Like after what just went through last year and even twenty twenty, you know, do you feel more grateful or thankful that you know you are in this position now at Harvard and? The same thing with the players and the other coaches around the Ivy and at Harvard. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm very thankful. Uh, I, again, I know there was some challenges on whether we're going to play or not play or open or not open. But you know what? Safety is always a pretty good thing, and and doing what's right for your place is always a pretty good thing. Uh, but I'm 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 very thankful to be back on the field. Um, you know, we have new coaches that come in every year too, so it's almost like you got to go through the staff directory and figure out who's who. Um, but I'm, I'm in, I'm thankful. Uh, I'm grateful. Uh, I'm grateful to our staff. Um, it wasn't easy, um, but I'm not a, I'm not a big time complainer. So I'm a forward thinker, and I think the thing that I really learned about COVID was, you know, there are other ways we can do this, right? Whether it's on partial zooms or however. Um, but nonetheless, the in-person, just the relationships that they have, they're so different in person. Um, and I know you guys know that. Um, it's just, it's great to be back. And, uh, you know, we all handle things differently, but, you know, the fact that we got a chance to, to play and, you know, get out and practice and compete a little bit internally and, and our fall sports are up and running and our winter sports are going to be up and running and, we get through this Delta thing, we'll be fine. Um, and, you know, I can't wait to look forward to our opener down in Miami. That's awesome. Well, I can't wait either. Uh, Coach, thanks so much for joining us in studio, Thank and you. good luck with the fall season. Appreciate it. Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. Thanks to Bill Decker for coming into the studio for the pod. It's good to hear the excitement back in his voice after a long year of no baseball. He has some big-time MLB prospects coming back in 2022, and the rise of the Crimson should continue once they're back on the field. Before we close out the pod, a few programming notes. Rate, review, subscribe to New England Baseball Journal podcast on your preferred platform. Be sure to subscribe so you can get an alert when that one goes live. To keep up with all things New England baseball, visit BaseballJournal.com. We update the site with new stories daily. Click the subscribe tab to get the fall edition mailed to your home or office. Follow us on Twitter at NE underscore baseball. We also want to hear from you. If you have recommendations for guests or questions that you'd like me to ask, send a DM on Twitter or email 
dguttonplan at baseballjournal.com. Thanks again for listening. The New England Baseball Journal podcast is a Siemens Media podcast.